Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. A warning that this episode mentions some themes that may not be suitable for all listeners. If you're in Australia and experiencing domestic violence or need to speak to a counsellor, please contact 1800 737 732. As the winner of AHIA's Australia's Best Eco Salon in 2020 and 2021, sustainability and low-tox living is a huge passion for my guest today, Tanil Lawrence. She's a multi-award-winning hairstylist that's been fortunate enough to travel the world as a global hair educator for over 15 years. While spending years styling hair runway shows, fashion week events and magazine shoots, it was an incredibly fun and exciting lifestyle. This mum of four slowly started feeling sick, stressed and run down. Tanil was told that during three out of her four pregnancies, she developed chemical poisoning from being exposed to harsh chemicals over the years in the hair industry. Tanil's experience with chemical poisoning motivated her to follow her heart and build the business on a sustainable, eco-friendly and vegan ethos, free from harsh chemicals and nasty ingredients while still creating gorgeous hair. She set up the salon and decked it out with upcycled furniture and plants to give it an eclectic look and feel, a concept that was very popular with the community and environmentally conscious locals where she lives and grew into a seven-figure business with 30 staff and another three Queensland-based salons in a matter of a few years. In addition to this, seven years ago, Tanil had to file for bankruptcy after leaving a domestic violence relationship, and this inspired her to set up her salon from home to be able to pay off her debts. This small salon in her garage quickly snowballed with people knocking on her door and saying, a little birdie told me you're a hairdresser. And she quickly got busier and managed to open up her first Brisbane-based salon called Little Birdie Hair Co. in a large warehouse. Tanil is now a spokesperson for sustainability within the hair industry and she's passionate about the local community making sure victims of domestic violence are supported in the workplace, being the first hair salon in Australia to work towards getting a white ribbon accreditation. So I warmly welcome Tanil to The Politics of Everything. Hi, thank you for having me. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content and quality sound. And that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech savvy. There's nothing to download. They just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z-E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. So what did you want to be as a kid? Did you always want to be a hairdresser? Do you remember what you wanted to be? (laughs) I do. I actually had no interest in being a hairdresser at all, believe it or not. I wanted to be a writer, but I came from a really small country town and 
the only thing I could get out of the, the sports day was at school was to go and do work experience. And one of the only few options for a girl at that time was to go and do uh, work experience at the local hair salon. So I, I did just because I didn't want to go to the uh, athletics carnival that day. And, <laughs> That's a great um, way to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, that one day ended up being like a week's worth of work for me. And then I was offered an apprenticeship pretty much straight away. So I kind of accidentally fumbled into hairdressing but somehow it's uh it's worked for me for the past 25 years so that's amazing wow it's very rare that that happens most people tell me they had you know a few tries at a few things and didn't like them and then found their their niche but sounds like for you you obviously made the most of what maybe was an unexpected opportunity yeah, I always say the hairdressing found me. I didn't I didn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> We're obviously very good at it. So what parts of hairdressing have, I guess, the most toxins and how easily can these items be replaced for less toxic options? And I saw a few examples when I was doing some research preparing for today's conversation. I mean, there's some common examples I imagine are things like hair dye and hair colour, which, you know, we know the smell of bleach, what that's like. What else is kind of toxic that we may not even realise? Well... Obviously, hair color is the most toxic thing in the inner hair salon. It's the ingredients that um that it's obviously made with, which are the most toxic component of it. But the the easiest way to explain it is the cheaper the hair color is, the more toxic the chemicals are. So it also depends on where it's made in the world. The most toxic ingredients in a hair color are ammonia, which obviously it inflicts like breathing problems on people, and PPD, which is inflammation of the airways and resorcinol. So they're the three kind of key ingredients that go into hair colour that affect people the most and generally they're found in cheaper colour. It's interesting you mentioned that everywhere in the world might have slightly different standards. So in Australia, are we particularly strict or is it sort of, you know, kind of universally the Western world uses similar kind of levels of toxicity? Um, that's quite hard to explain. Um, it just, I guess it's where the colour is made in the world. So if the colour is made in Europe, it's generally a better quality colour. If the colour is made in China or Indonesia, it can be a, a, a less, you know, a less good quality colour. And it's, yeah, it's just about where it's made as, as to how toxic it is really, in my experience. And, yeah, absolutely. So how long were you in hairdressing before you started to feel unwell from being exposed to chemicals? And I guess if you could look back, you know, you mentioned obviously during your pregnancies, but do you think earlier than that you had certain signs and symptoms that perhaps you just ignored? Uh, probably, uh, probably about maybe 10 years in my career. Um, before that, I'd obviously been a hairdresser and just worked in a normal salon where I'd done haircuts and colors. But as I got later into my career, I was an educator. So I used to travel around Australia and around the world teaching other hairdressers how to color hair. So during that time, I wasn't actually cutting hair. I was just coloring eight hours a day. So mixing bowls Mm. of color, going into salons and just, I was exposed to color predominantly most of the time. So that was when I really noticed it the most. It started off for me as having really, really bad migraines, which I sort of put down to a whole host of other things. I never for one thought I would have chemical poisoning. That snowballed into hives. I get covered in hives every day at work and once again couldn't understand what was happening to me. Um, I was congested in my face. I had swelling. And it wasn't until I had given birth to my first daughter, who uh, she's now 17, that my placenta was black when she was born. So when when she was born, the doctors were, couldn't figure out why. They were saying, you That's know, what? Crazy. Yeah, what? What do you do? You smoke? And I was saying, no, I've never smoked. And they say your placenta is the color of someone who has smoked three packets of cigarettes a day. Like this is really harmful. And they said, what have you done for a job? And I said, I'm actually a color educator, and I, I stand above people breathing in hair color every day and they said you know we we suspect that's what you've got and I got testing done and I had chemical poisoning 
Wow. Yeah. So you mentioned those short, some of those short and longer term health problems that sort of, I guess, manifested in your body. I'm just wondering how prevalent they are. I mean, I imagine you've got a community of hairdressers in your global network. Do you, is it something you talked about with them and you could sort of share some stories between each other? Or do you think some people are more susceptible than others, just depending on, you know, your, your personal chemical makeup, but also your exposure level? I actually think it's something that's not spoken about at all in our industry. I speak about it with my staff because I don't want them to be, I don't want them to be affected the same way I was, but it's it's not something that's ever spoken about. And I think as a hairdresser, when I know when I was first diagnosed that I put down my symptoms to other things, I never for once thought it would be from the chemicals that were surrounding me at work. You just never think of that at the time. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm thinking like, you know, obviously the last couple of years having gone through COVID, we've been wearing masks, for example. Yeah, and I think, you know, and, and I notice, you know, some people wear gloves on their hands when mm-hmm. they do hair colour and not everybody does that, but a lot of the salons I've been to will. Do you think if you'd worn some of those sort of, I guess, protective measures, you may have reduced the exposure or is it something you just can't know that that would have had any impact on over time? I'm not too sure. I would hope so. Looking back on the years, if we had worn masks, I would say definitely because that would have definitely stopped some of the the toxics that I was toxin, sorry, that I was breathing in. Hairdressers are three times more susceptible to getting breast cancer than any other profession, and for me, that's like so alarming. And it's because of the that is toxins. alarming. Yeah, it's because of the toxins that we're exposed to on the daily. Not only breast cancer, it's also leukemia is another one that hairdressers are very prone to contracting. Like that's terrifying. But definitely if I look yeah. back now, I always wore gloves. It was something that I had to do as part of my job, but I definitely didn't wear a mask. And, you know, but not only for me, I think if I'm wearing a mask and I'm putting colour on, shouldn't my clients be wearing a mask as well? That was my next question. I guess as as clients looking at the other side of it, obviously we're not in the salon all day, mm-hmm. every day like a hairdresser would be. What do we need to be aware of, baby? And, then, and you mentioned the other products perhaps, you know, um, the cheaper the product, the more likely we are to have sort of some sort of, you know, chemical exposure, which is higher than normal. What do we need to be aware of, I guess, as, as clients? I actually spoke about this the other day with a good friend of mine and they live in to stay and I just started for research purposes. I said, do you, the salon that you go to, are you aware of the colour brand that they use on your scalp? And she was like, no, I actually have no idea. And I said, well, that colour is is going through your scalp into your bloodstream. Like, how do you not know what colour brand they're putting on your scalp? And if that were me, I would, I would take that colour brand and I would go and research the ingredients on it. Even little things like a lot of people will buy their home hair care from the supermarket, which to me is terrifying because if you knew the ingredients that go into the, on the back of the bottle of the shampoo, it's terrifying. Um, one of the ingredients that is most common in store-bought uh, hair products and shampoo particularly is sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a filler. Um, it's used to create the bubbles into the product. It's a cleansing agent. The amount of skin, the eye and respiratory irritations that causes is phenomenal, but we don't ever think to look on the back of the bottle and check the ingredients. It's just something that we take for granted as consumers. And I think we just trust. Unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of trust we yeah. place in the brands that they've, you know, particularly if they say, you know, we're vegan friendly or we're not tested on animals yeah. or, you know, we, it says some sort of sulfate free, whatever it might be that ticks our own yeah. boxes in our mind we kind of just hand over our money and go, okay, that should be fine. Absolutely. I think that's what we assume. But what I'm hearing is that we need to do some due diligence. And even the fact that I go to a quality salon where I live on the New South Wales Central Coast, but I 
don't think I've ever asked what product no. they put on my hair. No, that's <laughs> and it. I feel really silly and I'm in my 40s. Yeah, exactly. Like you would never, ever know. It's not something that it's ever discussed in a hair salon and it really should be. It's like I'm putting something on your scalp that's going into your body. I really should be telling you about what I'm putting onto your body. Big corporations, they've learned how to be really tricky with their wording as well. Mm. Some of the products I've seen on the market now that deem to be, like I said before, ammonia is one of the trigger ingredients that's quite harmful they will deem a product to be ammonia-free. And what they've done with the wording is they take out the word ammonia out of the ingredient list and replace it with an ingredient that's three times as harmful as ammonia. But they... What's that called? I couldn't say. It's a big, long chemical component. Okay. Yeah. um, Just so we know what to look out for, I guess. Yeah, but then that allows them to deem the product ammonia-free. Oh, that's very... That's like tricky marketing kind of smoke and mirrors. I always laugh when I go into the supermarket and I see products that, you know, I look on the bottle of the shampoo and it's like... It's coconut branded or something with coconut in it. And you look on the back yeah. of it and they lit- literally have dropped in 0.001% of coconut in there. And it's just for marketing purposes. It doesn't actually give any benefit to the product at all. It's almost false advertising in a way. But as consumers, we just take for granted that this product is amazing and uh, um, it's it's the be all and end all and we buy it. Absolutely. We are very trusting in that way until we have a bad experience, yeah, right? Exactly. Like what you've gone through. Yep. And then you reverse engineer it and go, oh my goodness, what's the cause? And you go through the whole the yeah, whole rigmarole as well. It reminds me also like just talking about things like the coconut and product in a different category. It reminds me of, you know, the non-dairy milk options yes. you have, like, you know, almond milk barely has exactly. an almond in it. It's, it's mainly sugar and water. I don't understand how they get away with that. <laughs> it's crazy. So changing tack a little bit, what do you think some of the main challenges are for making, you know, a successful hair salon empire like you've created <laughs> in, in 2022? And how do you tackle these? And I, I'm thinking of things, obviously, having you know, gone through the pandemic, yes. staffing and closures and things yes. like that. Hopefully that's a little bit behind us. But what are some of the other key challenges which you are facing that perhaps you did it 10 or 20 years ago? Uh, you know what, 10 or 20 years ago, I guess like every business at the moment, I never, ever thought that staffing would be an issue. I've owned salons all my life and I would have had a salon 20 years ago and advertised for staff and I'd have so many people apply for the job, it would be hard to choose someone. Now in the hair industry, I can have an ad up on Seek for a year and I might get three people reply. It's insane. So staffing is a major issue for us at the moment. We have so much work on and we have our books are just busting at the seams that we don't have people applying for jobs to be able to do that. So for me as a business owner, I'm even looking at offshore now. How can I recruit people offshores to come to Australia to come and work for me? Because there's just nothing over here. And that's something I never ever envisaged, sorry, as a salon owner. Yeah. And do you have a reason? Is it just that people don't want to get into the industry? Is there a different kind of, like, does everyone just want to be like an influencer on Instagram? Like, what's the thing, I guess, that's stopping that? I actually got told a really interesting statistic the other day, and it's since 2019, 53% of the hair industry in terms of people choosing our profession has collapsed. Like that is, we had no hairdressers in 2019. So I can't imagine how many we have actually left now. Um, How we've got around that as a business is having to offer a really awesome employment package. And it's something that no other salon is offering at the moment. And we've had to do that to be able to get the attention of people to be able to get staff. And um, I never, ever thought I would be doing that in 2022 like it's just insane at the moment yeah and I suppose you know people understand that I guess hairdressing is not something that's necessarily well paid when you're starting out so I guess to attract people that might help I guess how do you keep people as well as my other yeah, sort of thought yeah 
that's it. The cost of living is so high now when you're putting on an apprentice and they realise that they're not going to be getting paid that much. I can understand why they, they're choosing to go work at Bunnings or somewhere else where they're probably getting paid more. Hairdressing is not a very well-paid profession to start, but when you are qualified, it is now a very well-paid profession because we have to pay big dollars to be able to a- attract great stylists and that's just the way it is at the moment. Absolutely. And you've got, what, 30-odd staff across your all your salons, is that correct? Yes, close to 30, yes. It's yes. Incredible. And, you know, it's about treating those 30 staff as members of my family and that they're important to me So, and giving them a great work-life balance so they want to stay. It's not working them to the bone. And so after a year they're burnt out and they go and they go and do another profession. It's about keeping them in our industry. Absolutely. So tell us about your some of your sustainability initiatives that you've put in place. I'm thinking things like water efficiency. That's the only one that comes to mind because I know, you know, I a few years ago we were in drought in New South Wales, I think, as yeah. was Queensland, and yeah. we were hyper aware of water at the moment. There's too much water Absolutely. and there's just rain everywhere. Um, what other things, I guess, can, can a salon do to make sure that, I guess, it's keeping its sustainability credentials, not just in the products, but the way it operates? Yeah, like you said, water is obviously one of the major things that goes on in a salon. Just in one of my salons alone, we have five basins and those taps do not stop. They're on for 12 hours a day and that's an astronomical amount of water. So we actually have a particular tap fitted on the tap fitting. It's called an eco head. It uh, stabilizes the water pressure, reduces the amount of water that comes out of the tap, but it also filters the water. So it takes all the toxins out of the water before we pop it onto someone's head. We actually collect the rainwater from our roof Everyone's really surprised by that. In all of my salons, there is plants everywhere and that obviously keeps a lot of upkeep in terms of water as well. So we collect the rainwater off the roof and we water all our plants with it. Little things like energy efficient efficiency lighting is a huge thing. There's lots of lights in a hair salon. There Not is. putting the chemicals down the drain. Oh, yeah. What do you um, do with them? How do you, you how have do you to make- just dispose of them? in a bin like you're not going to put them down the sink no. so color bowls that you know if you've if you've not used all your color the last thing that I want to do is not pull that down my waterway so I'm not chunking uh, throwing big chunks of bleach in my sink I'm actually putting it in a bag and disposing of it the right way mm, absolutely that's interesting and I yeah. guess you know I can not just is it the, the basins and the washing all those towels that you have to wash at the end yes. of the day like that must be heaps <laughs> Yeah, even little things like that. Like I said, the basins go all day, the towels go all day as well. We actually use disposable towels for that matter as well. We have both. We have two types of towels. We have our traditional towels, but we also have uh, disposable towels because they are recyclable towels. We can throw them in the bin and they can be reused. But the main problem for us or the main like you said, the main problem with the traditional towels is the amount of water that goes through the washing machine all day. So and then you have to chuck them in the dryer half the time because yeah, it's raining every week. Yeah, dryer after that, yeah. And there'd be not enough towels to keep up with the amount of people going through the salon all day. So the disposable towels was definitely an option and the fact that they could be recycled was a, a highlight for us as well. Absolutely. You've touched on the fact that you're offering great sort of employment packages for your people. What else can the salon sector do to help protect its people, I think, from the exposure to, to chemicals and also, I guess, their mental health and all the other bits that go with working long hours? I know some salons, you know, often I've, I've spoken to a hairdresser and they'll say, oh, look, I'm doing a 12-hour day today. You know, it's a Thursday night in Sydney, for example, yes, and that's yes. the expectation because people, you know, work long hours in big cities. What yes. else can be done to help people so that they actually you know, love what they do, but also like have that balance that you mentioned? Uh, For us, it was a big thing about closing on the weekends, closing on Saturdays. Oh, that's brave. (laughs) It is brave. After COVID, a lot of people were working from home and we found that whilst Saturday used to be our busiest day in the salon, it was no longer our busiest day in the salon because people came with their laptops during the week and they didn't want to spend 
precious time on the weekend with their partners stuck in a hair salon for three hours. So for us as well, it was about realising that our staff were people. They had missed out on weddings and birthdays and baby showers and holidays for, if like me, the past 25 years and they needed to be able to have some time out as well. So we've recently just started closing Saturdays in all my salons and it gives them back that work-life balance that they deserve. When they're working three late nights a week and a Saturday, it is not only physically draining it is mentally draining talking to people for 38 hours that's what I think as well you must come home and not want to speak to your own loved ones yeah literally that's exactly how it goes and that's something we always talk about at work you get home to your own partner and just like I can't talk to you then your partner's missed you they want to have a chat but you're like I have just spoken to someone for eight hours non-stop today I've heard everyone else's problems for eight hours I just need an hour to myself to get my brain to recharge or just to zen out. So having that work-life balance and having weekends back, and we also close on Monday, so having a three-day weekend for my team was something really, really important to me. So we've actually implemented that into the salon. So it's not even like the four-day work week, which is the big trend at the moment. It's the it's like can be three, I guess, three long days for some people. And Happy you know. three long. Yeah, have a great weekend, guys. See you later. Absolutely. It's interesting you talk about conversation. I'm having a, a flashback to um, after the first lockdown when salons reopened again in New South Wales uh, around two years ago now. The salon I used to go to and I did go to for 10 years before I moved to the coast, they had a sign up saying no COVID conversations and I thought that was quite good yeah so did we because it was draining like and polarizing depending where you sat on the vaccination stream or your conspiracy theories I mean I was thinking oh my goodness it was insane hearing that from one person sometimes can be draining but hearing (laughs) that from 13 people in a day very very draining so yeah we'd had the same thing we also have a conversation as salon where it's no no politics we don't we yeah. want to hear about happy things i want to hear about the latest book you read or the holiday you had with your partner i don't want to hear about covid so absolutely i agree with great that idea for them great initiative <laughs> so who's been your most important sort of career or life mentor and why because i'm always a believer that people's success has often been propelled and supported perhaps by someone who's you know either in the industry or perhaps from their own family or network that's really supported them or given them some great advice do you have one or two people that stand out and who are they and why I do yeah I have a I do have a really wonderful business coach Laura McLeod who's uh, someone I've worked with for a few years now and Laura is a former hairdresser as well and now she has a, a coaching agency and I think she's the one person who's made, made me streamline things in the business before that I had so many ideas and it was hard for me to concentrate on one thing and Laura always holds me accountable which is really lovely um, the one person I probably idolise more than anything is a lady called Lorraine Murphy, who's an entrepreneur. She's a... I know um, that name. How do I know yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> she's a speaker and an author. She writes books on getting organised. And I'm a single mum of four, and so organisation is a huge part of my life. And Lorraine speaks about being able to run a business and be organised and goal setting and a whole host of other things that have really, I guess, made made my business for me. Goal setting is a huge thing for me. We've actually already done my goals for next year. I'm super organized. And every year I sit down, I take myself out of the salon, I take myself out of my office and I take myself somewhere nice and I write down what I want to achieve the next year. And uh, reading, uh, I've actually met with Lorraine as well. I met her at a seminar, but actually reading her books and putting her processes into place is something that's really helped me in business. Fantastic. If we spoke again in a year's time, Tania, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why? 
You know, on the backs of COVID, that naughty C word, for me, it would be this year in business has been harder for me than actually the first year of COVID. Stability is something I'd really want to look back on and say that we nailed it. Keeping everything stable again, everything's been so up and down and out of sorts and no one really knew what was happening, particularly this year when we had that second round of COVID again. So stability, keeping everything back on an even playing field and everyone just being happy and unified at work would be something I'm really proud of. And I'd I'd love to look back and say that we, we nailed that. Absolutely. There's been lots of upheaval. As we wrap up our conversation today, what would be your final takeaway message for us on the politics of salons? I get asked this a lot. What's your biz, What's your best bit of advice for someone who wants yeah. to step in and, and own a salon? For me, it would be there's so many hair salons around. They're everywhere. They're on every street. But you really need something that's unique to you and your salon, a niche market. If you can find your niche and you can market the hell out of your niche, you will be successful. You need something that people go wow with. Every time people step into my salon, they are wowed. And I think that's the part that's made it such a successful business. So that would be my advice. Um, Find your niche and market the hell out of it. Absolutely. Well, it's been a fantastic conversation. If you do want to find out more about Tania Lawrence and her fabulous salons, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thank you so much. And just a note to say thank you so much for another awesome year of the politics of everything. We have recorded 43 episodes this year and as usual, I'll be taking a break over the Australian summer and we'll return in 2023 with some new guests, perhaps some new questions, but always making sure that we provide content and interviews which are of interest to our loyal listeners. So I do appreciate your time. You have a choice of podcasts and I do thank you for choosing mine. Have a great rest of 2022 and I look forward to seeing you in the new year. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea, you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.